Narayani just brought our attention to the fact that it's been three months and on one hand it feels like we've just been diving deep into the scripture for such a long time it's just inundated with it saturated with it you know we just feel as if it stays with us just day after day after day and on the other hand we've just only begun three months and three chapters that's that's wonderful to really think that we've been able to spend so much time it only goes to show how much there is to receive and you know we're only probably also just scratching the surface with our own limited ability to perceive our guru's teachings and to kind of <laughs> scratch from it some basic understanding that we have and i invite all of you to just try to keep going deeper as much as you can i i'm almost certain we will end and finish chapter 3 today but krishna usually has you know he, the reins are in his hands so we'll let him decide where we left off in chapter 3 was on in verse 36 37 36 being arjuna asking on all of our behalf o krishna by what is one impelled even against his will to do wrong as if he were being forced to do so this was an important question for all of us because none of us want to suffer none of none of us want to be getting angry none of us want to be caught more and more in delusion you know none of us want to be unhappy yet against our own will we seem to be caught in these patterns day after day lifetime after lifetime and so arjuna is asking because he recognizes it it's not that you know he's not seeing in his own life how many times he's been pulled in directions he wouldn't have consciously chosen to accept and so krishna of course replies to him as we've already seen he says it is desire it is anger just simplifying it for us both of which are impelled by rajoguna know these to be mankind's greatest enemies now if you remember in the previous chapter krishna talks about desire and anger as essentially being the same pathway let me just get back to for a moment this is chapter 2 verse 20 uh, 62 and 63 and he says dwelling mentally on sense objects breeds attachment to them essentially that's what desire is dwelling mentally on sense objects from attachment arises craving the desire gets stronger from craving when frustrated springs anger anger produces delusion so krishna is essentially saying these are uh, two sides of the same coin if there is desire believe me there is going to be anger because desire is not going to be fulfilled all the time a moment will come when where you know that desire is unable to be fulfilled in the way you want when you want it and then anger naturally manifests and this um vicious cycle almost is what keeps us going and the problem about desire is that it only leads to more desires because in order to even fulfill one desire in this world you actually have to <laughs> go through a lot many desires in order to the if my desire for love exists 
boy do i have to go through getting approval living up to expectations wanting other people to live up to these expectations you know and seeing how many people do i need love from how many people do i need to give love to and when i don't get it and i'm thwarted and i'm frustrated and i'm disappointed and i'm angry and it's just on and on and on so you can see how he says anger re- leads to delusion it's not an obvious thought that even i would have okay anger and delusion you know we're always like the ego is the one that's in delusion but it's it's this cycle that's really binding now before we f- go forward and i had said this in our last class that i'd like for us to go back to the gunas for a moment and also to the caste system which will help us really see the gunas again in the right light more so because krishna is going to be mentioning and talking about the gunas throughout the gita and so it just helps us um constantly remind ourselves what is this force because here he talks about rajoguna which is what is responsible for desire and anger and he says this is what keeps us because rajoguna is the activating guna if you remember you've got three gunas you've got tamas rajas sattva and in essence really you have four gunas because rajas is more of an activator of these two poles than a thing in itself it's more rajaguna is really energy when energy is able to move the question becomes where is energy moving is it moving up towards sattva is it moving down towards tamas this is our only two the way uh, our guru would say we have only two choices that's the uh, the highest form of free will we have perhaps the only form of free will we have which is either to move towards god or to move away from him none of us can stay stationary in a point where we aren't every decision every choice kindness rudeness love hate expansion contraction every choice you are faced with give receive is about either moving closer to that light to that source or moving away from it and rajoguna this desire and anger is what impels us one way or the other and depending on the quality of the guna that is stronger in us we are impelled we are compelled even against our own will and it's not that you are one or the other we're all a combination of these three gunas but one or the other at certain times of our life of the day of our spiritual evolution astrologically, astrologically we go through these cycles where one is stronger than the other one dominates so as i was saying there are actually four gunas if we want to be a little more technical you've got tamas and sattva and then you've got rajo tamas and you've got raja sattva so it's that activating force either moving up towards sattva or towards tamas now let's look at these four you know states of consciousness really and in the light of the caste system because again the caste system is really about consciousness and more importantly than consciousness it is about directional development which is a, a very very important thing for us to know nobody can make um you know huge leaps in terms of evolution of consciousness we all either will move from one flow to the immediate next 
and only then can we progress. And that is where the spiritual path needs to be made very real, very practical. And we, otherwise, you know, we live in this delusion, really. It's a spiritual delusion. Uh, one day I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be free. And one day I'm not going to have anger. And one day I'm just going to be overcome of all my desires. And so we wait for that day. And it's almost like that day is, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a lucky draw. You know, God might pick up my little chit, my number, and he'll call out my number. I'll say, yes, finally, you know, I punched my ticket. And it just won't work that way. We have to make that upward climb step by step. And the caste system and the gunas give us a framework around which we must work. Again, the caste system is the same. You've got the Shudra, Vaishya, Kshatriya, Brahmin. We are all a combination of these four castes. Different aspects of our lives were heavier on one side or the other. And so, however, there are predominant qualities within us. Let's start with the Shudra, which is Tamas. Now, the quality of Tamas is laziness, downward pulling, complacency, indifference, and material attachment and sense pleasure as being the only necessities, needs that you're interested in. In a very real sense, Tamas is when human consciousness has just moved beyond animal consciousness. Our first incarnations into the human incarnation are usually Tamas heavy because as an animal, and I'm not talking about animalistic like barbaric, I'm just talking about an animal's two only motivating forces are self-preservation and pleasure. And the thing that motivates this level of consciousness is fear. If you're threatened, you act. If you're not threatened, you do nothing. We think of tigers and lions and all as, you know, these really majestic and very active beings, but they're actually super lazy. They sleep a lot more and do nothing. And they only hunt when they're hungry. They only eat when they're hungry. They only do. So it's only when fear of death or, you know, or when they, are, they need pleasure, whether of food or whether of sex, that's when they act. So that's the Shudra consciousness. What it means is, how can I get away with the least amount of effort on my part? Where I can use the just the basic things that I need. And that is why we associate the Shudra consciousness with those who work only with their bodies. Because body represents a fixed material reality that you're not aware of higher realities to aspire to. It in no means, you know, it suggests that Shudras are farmers or, you know, those of these lower castes as a job. However... When the caste system was developed, it was developed also to create a balanced society. Now, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. Let's first just look at these uh, different castes. So you've got Tamas and Shudra. Then Rajo Tamas, which is when the energy activates and starts moving. However, the energy is moving us into contraction and selfishness. So this is the stage of the Vaishya. The Vaishya is the epitome, the image of a Vaishya is that of a merchant. So a Vaishya consciousness is transactional. I mean, let's look at even spiritually speaking. The Tamasic 
uh, way of spirit spirituality or religion has been the Kali Yuga form where if you don't pray, if you don't these do these rituals, if you don't, you know, go to the temple, God's going to be angry. He's going to smite you. He's going to judge you. He's not going to grant you your wishes. So people pray out of fear. They approach the divine out of fear. And so that's very much a Shudra relationship with God. Then you come the Vesha, which is transactional. I'll do this. You give me this. I'll meditate this much time and I need this much realization. I'll do so many Kriyas. I want these many of my karmas to be overcome. You know, I'll do this ritual and it should lead to this particular desire being fulfilled. So see here in the in the Tamas thing, the uh, ego is actually on autopilot. It's just about self-preservation and sensual pleasure. There are no greater desires than that. But in the Vesha, Desire and anger, because Rajogun has come, comes in. But what are they desirous and angry of? Things that relate to themselves. I desire more money for myself, more power for myself, more people to respect me for me. And I'm angry when they don't respect me, when someone does something to me. So desire and anger revolves only around ourselves. We're all, we all know our tamasic moments. I mean, most people, in fact, their employment, the job they do is very tamasic because the mentality is it's fear based. I need to make money. So I'm doing this. Otherwise, it doesn't give me any other greater uplifting pleasure. And then other people approach life in transaction. Oh, I'm doing this. I'm going to put out this much energy and I want to receive. But it's already a step up here. We've moved from an automatic ego to an activated ego. Now the ego says, I want more. I'm not satisfied with just the little basic reality of life. There is more and the more is the more of possession. So the ego wants to start expanding, but it starts to expand in material possessions. And that's the Vesha uh, consciousness. Again, a lot of us, a lot of the time, express the Vesha consciousness. Also, just to mention, you've got the Tamas, which is your two lower chakras, You've got, which is the Vaishya, you've got the uh, ra, uh, Rajas, which is these two chakras, and your Vaishya and your, uh, which is Rajotamas, connect with the willpower and the second chakra connecting together. So energy is moving, second chakra represents that flow of energy and willpower to actually direct that energy towards the object of your desire. Then you've got Kshatriya, which is Rajosattva. Now here the ego becomes an expansive ego. There's still desire, there's still anger, but now they are for greater things. What we're also experiencing right now, desire for greater equality in the world, desire for eliminating hunger, desire for helping others, desire for uplifting society. This is the warrior clan where it is my job to take care of others. So this is now an expanded ego. It's no longer just interested in itself, but it sees its own self-interest as uh, participative in a larger, uh, in the larger upliftment of whether it's your family or whether it's of your neighborhood or whether if it's of society in whole, or if it's whether if it's of your own religion, whatever it is, just larger than yourself. But there's still anger and desire. You see the anger right now. Those people who fight for noble causes often are the angriest people. Yeah, we need to feed all the poor people. We need to treat everyone equally. You know, it's just 
Now, these people, though, who've got that kind of attitude, they're otherwise not Kshatriyas, but caught up in the energy of a mob of masses, their energy also awakens. They have higher aspirations. They want people to be fed. They want people to be equal and all those things. But in general, by themselves, they won't do anything. They're not active in making change. But they have desire inside them. So you see how Rajoguna can just work with us in the way we are. Otherwise, it can stay down here in Vaishya consciousness. But it can be awakened suddenly depending on the, the environment that I am in. That is why environment plays such an important role. And it can lift me up into a little bit more Kshatriya energy where I'm, where I'm all for a larger cause than myself. But again, desire and anger exists. It's just now directed towards a slightly larger reality. Then you finally come up to the Sattva state of consciousness, which is the Brahman state of consciousness. So you've got automatic ego, you've got activated ego, you've got expanded ego, and then you have the spiritualized ego. And the spiritualized ego of Sattva is contentment, acceptance, you know, these two other states, there's no more desire and anger. Because there's nothing you realize, there's nothing outside of myself that can ever possibly fulfill me. Your banana say desireless desire. Not the desireless desire to find God. And of course, God lies beyond sattva. But it is our job to lift our energy up to sattva because from here it's easier to get up. A lot of people ask us sometimes, isn't just, you know, the desire for God <laughs> also a desire when you say we should have no desires? Well, in a relative world to say we should have no desires is going to be quite hard. But you have to look at that one desire that will help me overcome all other desires. Uh, our guru would give the example of it's not so relevant now, but we can use the imagery of, you know, if you've got a, if a, you step on a thorn and it kind of goes into you, pierces into you, you need another thorn, you know, another sharp object to pull it out. However, once you've pulled that thorn out, you don't hold on to this thorn because it helped you pull the thorn out. You then throw both, which means you get to sattva, you get to this state and then getting beyond sattva, letting even sattva behind, which is the state of Turiya, beyond the gunas, that becomes far easier. And we'll talk about this in the next verse that Krishna talks about. But you see over here, how when Manu, who is the lawgiver of the caste system, when he suggested the caste system as an understanding of our own state of consciousness where we rest what is the um, what's the word the center of our gravity around which our consciousness tends to flow because at certain times we all can express brahman consciousness at certain times many of us express tamasic consciousness where we just don't want to do anything you know but there is one state that is usually where we are and for most of us especially those of us here I imagine it vacillates between the Vaishya and the Kshatriya. As much as we'd like to believe it vacillates here, vacillates a little bit more here. Tending towards the Kshatriya consciousness. But this helped society. See, right now, why is there so much chaos? Because 
the politicians are not people who want to serve, but they're Shudra consciousness. They just want to have stuff or Vaishya consciousness. You've got businessmen who may be Vaishyas, but some of them are Kshatriyas. And so then you see them doing more. And so you've got a society that right now there is no direction for society. It's individually driven. But when the caste system was created, it was created in a higher age when it was understood, ah, if I'm at this consciousness, my next step is to get here. So a, a Shudra is not meant to aspire to become a Brahmin. A Shudra aspires to become a Vaishya because he can't become a Brahmin. So when somebody is in depression, which is very much a Tamasic Shudra reality, what happens? At that time, a lot of people say, oh, let's teach them meditation. And we're always like, no way. They can't get here into meditation. They'll get more trapped in their body. In fact, interestingly, Sattva and Tamas sometimes look so similar that people get confused. This is another spiritual delusion. Because when I'm content and I'm so completely in, at rest in myself, which is the Brahman state of consciousness, this is how a saint is. It doesn't look like he's, because we think of activity as this restless, you know, movement of energy. But a saint outwardly does so little, but then so much happens. And so we think that, oh, in order to be accepting in this, I just need to be, you know, just sitting and doing nothing. But that's actually the tamas that we manifest. And so if somebody is in tamas, their step for somebody who's in depression, for example, their step is how to get energy moving. How to get them into the Rajoguna. How to get them to feel desires. You know, you have to awaken desires in them so that the energy is willing to move. You have to give them things where they get to serve other people so that they start rubbing off, which is what the hierarchy even created. The Shudra served the Vaishyas and he got to start absorbing their consciousness until the time came when he also said, you know what, I want to increase my station. I want to do this as well. The Vaishyas served the Kshatriyas, who were the kings. All the merchants, everything they did, it was in service to the kingdom, to the kings. The kings served the Brahmins, who were the upholders of Dharma, of the kingdom. And so in this particular way, society was able to give those outward responsibilities also to those people knowing what their next step was. Because if you take a Shudra and you put him in, for example, if I take a beggar, and this is not to cast dispersions on any beggar, let's assume the beggar's consciousness is fairly low. And if I give him a palace, will he be able to make the palace and run the palace like a king or will he run it and make it a make it like a slum and live dirtily and things will be dirty and he'll just live in a corner because his consciousness won't even allow him to expand into in his aura all around the palace where he can just be so you see it's not about those outward roles it's about the consciousness we have and then in accordance to the consciousness what's our next step so for each of us, this is an important flow because when we are in Tamas, we should not be thinking of going into Sattva. We should be thinking, okay, how can I get some energy moving? Maybe I should go for a run. You know, maybe I should just call somebody and hear somebody, you know, just more passively lift my energy up. 
when we are in rajas when we are restless then we have to say okay i'm restless this energy is it taking me into rajotama is this restlessness more contractive or is this energy more expansive if it's more contractive then i need to do something a little bit more still restless the energization exercises for example some yoga for example and then i can then the rajo sattva lifts us up enough to say now i can sit to meditate and so in our own lives we can look at this caste system we can look at the guna system as a thermometer of consciousness within us and then know what the next appropriate step is because otherwise the spiritual path we we just think it's about meditation it's about being one with god it's about being in bliss well it's not about that it is about knowing who you are where you are and what your next step is to move the energy up whatever that is for you so if you are advising people look for that when swami kriyananda created the education for life system which is an alternative curriculum for education for children he used the gunas as a means to you know mold education individually and he called them children he gave them these three categories heavy activated and light which was the tamas rajas and and accordingly the teachers were to relate to these kids and give them you know the way how to teach them what to give them one of the teachers told us one of the students is for super rajas and is very restless all the time so rather than forcing him to sit there and just get restless and fidgety and not even learn anything they would the moment they come in the class they say you get up go for a run and they run make him run so his rajas suddenly is being used and then he'd come and then now he could sit and actually pay attention you see this is the the amazing ability that we need to have when we even relate and deal with friends family members children is to know and assess not to judge <laughs> oh you are in tamas right now <laughs> oh, i am a brahmin right now not for that but to be aware of this then krishna goes uh one step further to really help us see the same thing that i'm talking about how these stages relate to one another and he says as fire is obscured by smoke as a mirror is covered by dust and as an embryo is enveloped by the womb so is human understanding obscured by the three qualities I hope you would were able to relate to it. Fire obscured by smoke is like the sattva guna which is it's so just a little wind a little puff and the fire disappears and the smoke on the uh, the smoke disappears and the fire of divine understanding is present and under- and available to you. Rajoguna is like a mirror covered by dust which means in order to be able to see the mirror clearly you've got to put out energy to wipe that mirror so rajoguna's tool is willpower and energy so those of us when we are in rajoguna we have to put out willpower and energy to lift to a higher state of awareness tamoguna however interestingly is like an embryo enveloped by the womb what does that mean when an embryo is in a womb can you hurry that process up Can you ask the embryo to come up before 9 months? No. When the embryo is in the womb, it's going to take 9 months, which means tama guna needs time. Time, energy and will power 
and just a little meditation, just a little shift of your perception. If you're in Sattva Guna, you just have to do a little bit to lift up. If you're in Rajoguna, you have to do a little bit more, you know, wipe that mirror clean. And if you're in Tamoguna, sometimes you just have to let it be. Just wait. And this is also with people, this is also with yourself. Because when I'm in a mood, sometimes I just, all I need is time. <laughs> if somebody starts trying to get me out of that mood, well, it, it might put me even further into a mood, get me even more upset. I mean, we've all experienced this. And so, we, this is just, isn't this just beautiful? How to relate to people, how to relate to yourself, how to relate to the directional development of your own consciousness. And it just give, brings so much more relaxation. Because then there is no pretension. You don't have to be like, I'm in Tamas, but I should be, you know, looking like I'm in Sattva. So, you know, here goes. No, this is where I am. And when you are comfortable with where you are, only then can you take the step above. So this is a beautiful, you know, form for us to... I have this fun or interesting story that I heard from Asha Nayaswami. I might tell it a little differently, but I hope I make the point correctly. She was talking about a time where early on she used to lead, she and others would lead pilgrimages to India. And one of those early pilgrimages, they had bought a group who'd never been to India before. They were in Calcutta. And during that pilgrimage, they were talking about the caste system, you know, in, in the perspective of the consciousness. And one of the pilgrims, never been to India before, was talking about, she said, you know, I saw this peanut seller outside just sitting there with his little peanuts, just, you know, sitting there. Somebody came, he'd fill the peanuts up, he'd give them to them, take the money, and then he'd just sit there. You know, that was his life. That's all he did. And she said, you know, so if I am that peanut seller, so that means will my consciousness also be that of a Shudra? And Asha very beautifully said, she said, well, it has nothing to do with being a peanut seller. You see, if you happened to be a peanut seller, you would be like, ah, okay, how can I be more? Maybe I can have different varieties of peanuts. What if I increase my, the stall size? What if I bring out more colorful uh, newspapers to wrap the peanuts in? And so the Vesha consciousness will already start activating and you start thinking, how can I put out more energy? And then naturally I will receive more energy. But if your consciousness is already that of a Kshatriya, then you think about, wow, how can I use these, the selling of the peanuts to also uplift others? So let me use papers in which beautiful quotes are written so that while people are eating the peanuts, they'll read the quotes and maybe they will be inspired. So no matter what your station is in life, a peanut seller can be a Kshatriya, can be a Brahmin. And he's not confined to being a Shudra because it's his consciousness that gets to express itself. We could be peanut sellers in our next lifetime and we could still be, you know, expressing God's constant love to everybody just because that's what our consciousness will allow us. And you know from, from the history of saints how God plants his saints in all these different levels of society and expressions of jobs just to show us it has nothing to do with their caste. It has everything to do with their consciousness. So each of us don't have to worry. If, you know, if we've made it up to Kshatriya, chances are we're only going further up. Then Krishna continues, O son of Kunti, the unquenchable flames of inner desire are the constant enemy even of the wise. Remember, unquenchable. As we were talking about, it just goes on and all the infinity 
of desires that begin, even the wise need to be wary of such things. Because it starts with one, it starts with what seems like a justifiable desire, it starts with something that seems like I think it's going to really help many people. And in order to fulfill it, more and more and more and more come. Not that again, desire itself is not bad, it's the attachment to that desire. And that's why Krishna is constantly balancing everything out. He wants us to act. So obviously he's not saying don't have desires and you can't act at all because we need to act. Energy needs to move. Ambition and clarity and willpower have to be involved. But offer everything to me. Think only of me when you do this. So he's giving us means to use our desires also as a form of complete self-surrender. The senses, mind and intellect, we have three minutes before I hand over. So I'm just going to read these because they're more or less the same. The senses, mind and intellect are declared to be their stronghold, which is the stronghold of desire. Senses, mind and the intellect. Desire through these three deludes the embodied soul and eclipses its wisdom. Therefore, O best of the Bharat dynasty, Begin by disciplining the senses, by withdrawing their energy into the spine. Then destroy that desire by casting it from your heart. Desire is the sinful destroyer of wisdom and self-realization. And so again, Krishna just comes back to it's not going to just happen outwardly. You're going to have to be able to draw your life force away from the senses into the spine, increase that flow of life force. So that those vrittis, those whirlpools of desire, those pre-committed energy vortexes of desire, carrying that we are lifetime after lifetime, they will only be neutralized, destroyed and quenched in the deep spine. However, also supported by our outward actions very much supported by our outward actions. That's why meditation alone will not do it for any of us if our outward life does not reflect our meditative state. The senses are declared to be superior to the body. The mind is superior to the senses and the discriminating intellect is superior to the mind and the self is superior to the discriminating intellect. Again, a beautiful hierarchy that Krishna is giving. If you want to control the body, Work with the senses. If you want to control the senses, work with your mind. If you want to control the mind, work with your intellect. If you want to work, control the intellect, work with the true self. And this is again a way for us to use. Okay, I'm really hungry. I, my body takes a lot of my energy. I don't have this. Let me work with my senses and see what are my senses receiving. And if I can regulate, control and allow only to receive that which naturally my body will also respond. And I can use even that understanding to keep lifting one layer of my own being further up. And finally, the last verse of this chapter, O mighty armed Arjuna, let's say, O mighty armed all of us, thus cognizing the indwelling divine self as superior to intellectual understanding, discipline your lower self by dwelling in the true self and overcome therefore the foe who wearing the armor of desire 
is ever difficult to conquer. Again, those last words. Dwell on your real self. Try as much as you can. This is what our guru said, master said. Keep your attention focused here. Just dwelling on the absolute highest reality within you. And the more we do that, the more we magnetize this space, this center, the more and more that fight that we otherwise feel, this constant you know, tug of war with our desires, with our attachments, with our likes and dislikes, they will begin to naturally go away. Knowing that the indwelling divine self is superior to your intellect, mind and senses, try to dwell constantly in that self and you will defeat the foe who wears the armor of desire and seems unbeatable. Haryani, you have any thoughts for us? That might help us through this week. I think I never understood the concept of the gunas until I read the Bhagavad Gita, especially this one, because Swami Kriyananda explains it so beautifully. We not only go through periods in our lives of rajasics, tamasic or sattvic but even over a period of a day in one day we go through all these phases where some of us in the morning are a little bit more tamasic some of us in the evening are more rajasic so for each one of us we can see even just within a day how many of those states of consciousness we channel according our own inner energy but also according to the influence of our environment to that add that even our relationships whether with our parents with our spouse with our children also are different from our with our spouse perhaps is the more kshatriya interaction with our parents is more vaisha with our children are more brahmin sometimes actually in our meditations is a little bit more brahmin so just imagine how chaotic just in one day can look if we don't pay attention and we just you know give up and just go along how we feel without being and having the power to choose how do and where do we want to redirect that energy so what i would like for us to become really familiar with the gunas is how they play in our daily lives start identifying those moments throughout the day where there is a tendency for you to be a little bit more tamasic and when you see that almost like not imposing forcefully i mean force forcefully forcefully but kind of nudge yourself to do something rajasic if you find yourself very rajasic do something 
that will help you to go into a much more sadvic state of consciousness. For each one of us will be different. The highest, of course, is meditation where you really want to feel in alignment with yourself in that uplifted state of consciousness. But perhaps for other people is to listen beautiful music or be a little bit more quiet or just um, write or do some painting. But, but really start living your life more consciously and know that you really and only you, only us can make those changes. This morning we were having a satsang with some friends in Palo Alto. <laughs> we had a mini discussion for one group and we were talking about the importance of don't think that in 10 years from now, when you think you will be more spiritually evolved, you will be able to work with your own karma, your own tendencies, how to work with your ego, because it's not going to happen. The real work starts right now. The more you become aware of the things you need to work with yourself, the easier will become 10 years from now. So don't underestimate the ability and your own power to make changes now. In fact, the more you start changing your life now, the better will become in the future. So now that we have this deeper understanding of, you know, these three states of consciousness and how to keep, you know, redirecting ourselves closer to towards God, towards the light, towards truth, towards harmony with ourselves and with our environment. Also, the easier our meditations will be because if we are not making a dynamic conscious effort in our daily activities, activities don't expect to sit in meditation and just go right away into that sadvic state. In fact, the more <laughs> we do in every activity, in every relationship, the more we try to do our best, the deeper meditations we'll have. So I think for this week, this should be our practice to focus on those three states of consciousness and how we channel them every day and how to bring to our bring ourselves to the next level and pay attention to the 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 kind of relationship you have with each member of your family and whether it's a shudra vasha kshatriya or brahmin and try to you know, bring yourself to the next level, whatever that will be uh, with that specific person and that relationship. And especially try to perfect your relationship above all with your own guru and with God. That's a relationship that should always be as pure as possible 
as selfless as possible. So if nothing else, if it's difficult to do it with your family members, with people around you, if nothing else, try at least with God, with the divine, to keep perfecting evermore your love for him.